Welcome to the podium. I'm Dr. Kevin Sprouse. This podcast about health and performance was created as a resource for the patients in my practice, where I work with professional athletes and high-performing individuals from around the world. You may ask, why podium? Well, to me, the podium represents the pinnacle. The winner of any race takes their place atop the podium, much as any expert in their field is often asked to share their wisdom and present from the podium. It represents the intersection of athletic and cognitive performance. In this podcast, we dissect those principles of performance for my patients and then disseminate pertinent, actionable information with them in mind. If you like listening and are not a patient, that's great. We love having you here and I hope you enjoy and learn from this discussion. But please understand, if you're not a current patient, do not take the content of this podcast as medical advice. This discussion is for general informational purposes only. Season four of The Podium is brought to you by Podium Sports Medicine. Yes, while this podcast is produced primarily for our patients, we have many listeners who are not patients at Podium. We're often contacted and asked about the practice, so I figured we could take this season to share a bit about what we do. At the end of this episode, we'll place some specific info about how things work at Podium. Additionally, we plan to have a listener Q&A episode next season. If you have a question you'd like for me and Patrick to dig into, please submit it by email to info at podiumsportsmed.com. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Podium. I am Patrick Morris, and I am here with Dr. Kevin Sprouse. Hey, Patrick. It's a it's an appropriately gloomy and rainy day to talk about infections, antibiotics, getting sick. Because, yeah. you know, the wives' tale would say that today is the day you're going to get sick. Yeah, it's wintertime. We may or may not be in the middle of a pandemic. There's lots of things swirling around, so I'm sure right. there's lots of antibiotics being used yeah. properly and potentially improperly. Yeah. Statistics would suggest that a lot of them are being used improperly. Um, it is encouraging to see that over the last five years, for what it's worth, uh, those same statistics would show that doctors are getting better at prescribing them appropriately, but it's still pretty, uh, it's, it's still a pretty ugly picture, I think. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunate because antibiotics have been an absolutely phenomenal invention for modern medicine, and they've saved countless lives. But as with a lot of things, they tend to kind of go overboard in one direction, and then when that starts to happen, people start to mistrust things. There start to be some misconceptions, especially in athletic populations and things like that. When you hear a lot of these wives' tales, myths, and things like that, so that's really what we're here to talk about today. Kind of clear up some of the misconceptions, give best practices, and really just kind of quell some minds that maybe have been prescribed and are worried about it, or maybe for good reason, know that they shouldn't be taking them. Yeah. It's like many things, the, the opinions tend to fall in the extremes. And so, um, I have encountered many patients in my career who insist on an antibiotic for everything. And I've encountered many patients who refuse to take antibiotics for anything. And the truth, I mean, the, the, you know, the reality of the picture really lies in the middle. Like you said, antibiotics are probably along with vaccines, one of the top, uh, medical, uh, advancements that's happened in the last hundred, 150 years, um, saving untold, you know, thousands or millions of lives. Um, but we've gotten to a place in medicine now where they're so overprescribed and for reasons that they're just not warranted that there's, 
it's conceivable that side effects from antibiotics in many cases outweigh like the incidence of side effects outweighs the incidences of, or the number of times that antibiotics cure something for someone. And that's when, <laughs> that's when we've gotten way off track. So the take home, the, the broad stroke here looking at antibiotics is that they're neither good nor bad. They're a tool that can be used in an amazingly beneficial manner, but when used inappropriately can cause all kinds of problems. So why are we talking about this on a kind of health and performance podcast? I, it's, it's really something that comes up almost like clockwork annually that we start to have patients, athletes get sick. And we have these conversations around, you know, is an antibiotic appropriate? Is it not? What will it help? What won't it? And then more importantly, what are the side effects? What can be the effects on gut health, on performance, on how long it takes you to get back to training, racing, performing appropriately? Um, so we're going to dig into some of that stuff today, not just the appropriate use of antibiotics, because that would probably bore you to death. Um, but more we're going to get into as an athlete, as an active individual who has maybe been prescribed antibiotics, um, what does that mean for your training, your performance? What can you do to mitigate some of the risks? What are best practices around that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic, especially for you dealing with cyclists at the, the really pointy end of performance that also kind of toe that line of, of health and performance and can get really easy head colds and, and things like that. And that's where a lot of times the, the prescription gets pretty tricky with it. I love the, the oh, I've got a, a cold or something like that. I'll be good in three to five days. Take an antibiotic. You'll be good in three to five days. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, there's a, um, a retired professional cyclist that, uh, is now a director that I used to work with a guy named Bingen Fernandez, a Basque cyclist who, um, his famous thing that used to make me chuckle that I would hear him tell, uh, cyclists is, yeah. Like you said, you've got a head cold. Oh, you're going to have that for a week. But if you get antibiotics, it'll be all done in seven days. And the point was antibiotics really don't play a role in these head colds. Um, the vast majority of, you know, again, head colds, sinusitis, bronchitis, um, these are viral illnesses, upper respiratory stuff. That's viral illnesses. Antibiotics do nothing for viruses. So there are, you know, less than 5% of those cases that are primarily bacterial and may benefit from an antibiotic, but the vast, vast majority of the time, it is not a bacterial issue, which means that an antibiotic is not the appropriate treatment. So patients don't like to hear us say, well, you know, we want to wait it out for seven to 10 days. What they hear is we want to not treat it for seven to 10 days. Instead, what, what we're really doing is saying a, a medical treatment at this point is not warranted, probably going to lead to more side effects than help. And your body is equipped with everything it needs to fight this off in the same amount of time as if we used a antibiotic, which would be unrelated. So understanding that is conceptually is one thing. I mean, all of us can kind of grasp that, but even me, when I get <laughs> these upper respiratory illnesses, I think to myself, oh, it's been two days. Should I just start an antibiotic? Cause you want that quick fix. I mean, I, I totally get it. You've got to step back and be objective and say, okay, that's, that doesn't make sense with everything that we know. Just got to pour another cup of tea and turn on Netflix. Yeah. I have a, um, 
I have a good friend that her grandparents do mission work in Belize and they just have boxes of amoxicillin that they send down there. And in that family, it's very common practice that at any sign of a sickness, they just grab a pack of amoxicillin and just hammer through it. And that is just not what we want to be doing. No, not at all. It's like the Windex and um, the, the Greek wedding. And put some Windex on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's not. And and I think um, I think more and more people are understanding that. Um, but again, it can be difficult in the moment. So understanding the appropriateness of use is important. Um, a lot of that falls on doctors because it's, you know, for me, if I'm working in an urgent care center or an ER or primary care office and somebody comes in, it is a lot easier for me to just write a prescription for a Z-Pack and be done with the conversation. Patient thinks I did something great for them. They got their money's worth, so to speak, of coming to the visit. I get to move on and not have what could be a very fairly difficult and uh, drawn out conversation on why we're not going to do any medications at the moment. Um, so a lot of that onus lies on the doctors to take a minute, put the prescription pad away, have the conversation. Uh, and that's, you know, having been in those situations in the past, I recognize that's not an easy position either. So we, we've kind of created this environment where antibiotics are just kind of expected for these things. Um, both historically and because it's just something that we as doctors can do for patients as opposed to, you know, telling them do nothing, just wait it out. Um, when you, when you work with athletes, uh, they're on a pretty compressed timeline oftentimes with regard to, uh, training for events. And there's a little bit more pressure even to say, okay, well, you know, you have a race in three weeks or 10 days or whatever, and you're sick now, let's just pull the trigger on antibiotics, um, which a compressed timeline doesn't make antibiotics any more appropriate for a viral illness. So it, this, this type of issue plays out across the board. And it's one that we're kind of constantly butting up against, especially this time of year. Yeah. Which is a, a great point and somewhat disclaimer of just talk to your doctor. If you're, if you're prescribed these things, if you have a head cold, if you've gone into somewhere and that discussion is happening, you know, be vocal, let them know your activity level, like discuss these things with them so that you guys can make a good informed decision. And that's kind of one of the best practices that we want to get in here when you've made the, the, the decision with your doctor, with a, a physician. Okay. Yes. An antibiotic is warranted. Where do we go from there? Yeah. Yeah. And, and with an honest conversation, if, if the antibiotic is warranted, the, the flip side of all this applies, like don't, you know, sometimes they're very necessary to treat an illness. So don't, uh, don't sit at home and think, well, you know, it's just an upper respiratory. Don't diagnose yourself, right? Don't, don't say, oh, well, this is something that antibiotics wouldn't, wouldn't do anything for. Um, talk to someone who knows how to make that decision. Uh, because the last thing you want is to have a bacterial illness that gets worse and worse because you've self-diagnosed and presume that an antibiotic is inappropriate. That's not what I'm getting at either. Um, it's, it's really needs to be a, a conversation with your doctor. So thankfully I am sitting here with a doctor so we can have somewhat of that conversation. So what would you give me as a, as a best practice? I'm taking an antibiotic. How, where, where are we going from here? Yeah. So if we've decided that an antibiotic is necessary, we've kind of crossed that threshold and 
irrespective of what we're treating, we're not going to get into that and like what antibiotics are appropriate for what illnesses. But, you, you know, if, if you've come in and it's like, yeah, you know, I think you've got something we need to treat with an antibiotic. Um, there's a few things that, that I think as a practitioner, one, let's aim for very, sh- the shortest course of antibiotic we can. Um, so, and again, that's, it's going to depend on the patient, but someone who's young, otherwise healthy, active, that's kind of who we're talking about today. So that person comes in, I'm going to go for the shortest course that I can, uh, as opposed to having a long drawn out, uh, you know, 10, 14 day course of antibiotics. There is some evidence that courses of antibiotics shorter than four days tend to lead to fewer, um, fewer side effects and fewer, uh, instances of oxidative stress. We'll talk about that later, but if you can, if it's appropriate to do a three day course, then that's great. If it's appropriate to do a one pill course, that could be great. Um, so shorter courses, uh, all other things being equal are ideal. Choosing an appropriate medication for the illness antibiotics. You, you hear about people will say, oh, well, the, you know, this was a strong antibiotic. This was weak or this, you know, I was taking this one that they decided to put me on a stronger antibiotic. It doesn't really work that way. Antibiotics are all appropriately strong, so to speak, but they are all targeted toward different, uh, different aspects of different bacteria. So you can have a, 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 an antibiotic that's considered incredibly strong, but if you use it for the wrong bacteria, it may have no activity against that but so then it's, it's not strong at all. It's, it's impotent. Um, so it's really about choosing the correct antibiotic for the illness. That's a determination for your doctor, but, um, it's a very important one, uh, for sure. And, and probably a discussion worth having with them when you're looking at that, uh, choice of antibiotic, usually the, the list of correct answers, so to speak, isn't limited to one antibiotic. It's, you know, these three or six or eight antibiotics will all work in this situation. Then you have to look at the risk profile or the side effect profile. So we'll get to that, uh, in a minute, but that has to come into play too. So there are some, there's specifically higher risk for athletes, uh, as, as opposed to others. And that's kind of what I'm talking about as well. When you're thinking about, uh, medication choice, um, and then finally it's, you know, what can you do to mitigate the effects? So you've had a short course of an appropriate antibiotic. What can you do to mitigate any, any side effects, uh, GI side effects, performance side effects and whatnot. And we'll dig into that pretty deeply as well, but that, um, that's kind of the framework for addressing medication choice, I think. Yeah. And since we're a really, you know, athlete performance focused podcast, and that's kind of like what we're looking to, to delve into here using antibiotics during training and special considerations for athletic populations. And I think something that's important here is also to note that if you're using an antibiotic, you're sick. So training during, during a sickness is also something that needs to be adjusted and tweaked. And then you add an antibiotic into it. And that's just another step to be like, okay, I need to take a step back and look at this big picture. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, if you're taking an antibiotic, something has gone wrong. Um, you're sick, you have an infection, uh, that there, there's some major stress on the body that the presumption is your body can't handle on its own. Otherwise you wouldn't need the antibiotic. So if it's, if it's that level of stressor, be it a pneumonia, um, a skin infection, 
whatever it is, then you need to dial the training back because, and by dial back, I mean, maybe just stop, right? Uh, it'll depend based on the scenario. There may be things that you can do that you shouldn't do. Um, if you have a pneumonia, you shouldn't be training, right? And if you have a respiratory condition that is requiring antibiotics, that is most likely a pneumonia. So at least the, the doctor's presuming that. Otherwise, they'd be saying it's a bronchitis, upper respiratory tract infection, something like that. And then we're back to this idea that those don't need antibiotics. So if if you've appropriately chosen an antibiotic for a respiratory illness, you're kind of by default saying it's very likely a pneumonia. Of course, there's outliers to this, but in general, you don't need to be training with a pneumonia. Um, skin infections, saddle sores in cyclists. I mean, there's, there's numerous things, uh, strep throat, things like that. You know, we want to avoid added stress from training and we typically want to avoid increased heart rate rate that may lead to spread of the infection to other organs, things like that. I think we've just discovered that another podcast will definitely be warranted to talk about training when sick, returning to training after being sick and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really interesting that you bring up different skin conditions because that's somewhere that would be really easy to think, oh, I feel fine. I just have this going on. It's external. You're taking something for it and you, you don't even process that. Like, hey, that's having an effect on my body. It's increasing heart rate, things like that. So like keeping that in mind when we're going through our training and really just being mindful of that. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing, if we look at skin infections, uh, as one example, depending on where it is, how big it is, those type of things, how much you know, skin surface it takes up. It may be that you train, but you dial it back, right? You, you kind of offload the stress on the body and, and give the body a chance to, to work at healing this. Um, it may be a competition where you use antibiotics, you push through the competition with a plan that on the back end, you're going to just totally shut it down while monitoring your overall health. You know, it's, there's no absolutes here, but I do think the, the take home should be that you have to recognize that any condition for which you're being prescribed antibiotics is a considerable stress on the body. And the, you will, you will probably slow down your healing if you continue to train hard and you will probably train inefficiently and ineffectively if you're doing so while on antibiotics with a, with a infection of some sort. Yeah. It's one of those times that it's not best to push through. Yeah. So looking at, um, like an athletic population and special considerations, there are certainly some side effects associated with antibiotics. And there's, there's some things to keep in mind if you're coming from a very active background. So where would you start with being an athlete, someone who's doing that? What do they really want to be careful about when taking an antibiotic? I think the, the number one thing that comes to my mind is there's a class of antibiotics uh, known as fluoroquinolones. And this is uh, ciprofloxacin or cipro, um, levofloxacin, levoquin. Uh, there, there's a whole bunch of individual antibiotics that fall into this category, but they have a very well-known, well-described uh, side effect profile that leads to, uh, that can lead to tendon injury and ruptured tendons like Achilles tendons uh, while taking and even for weeks and months afterwards. So for me, um, if someone is a, a fairly active person and there is any choice other than a fluoroquinolone, 
I'm going to choose the other medication first. Um, there are times when these medications are necessary. They're a good choice for that person. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to throw them out and say, we can't use these. That's, that's far from the truth. But if you have multiple options, you want to look at the safety profile for the individual. And so we know that people who are very active, who take a fluoroquinolone have a much, uh, much more significant increased risk of these tendon injuries than, uh, than on other medications. So for me, that's one that jumps out. And of course I've seen numerous patients who have had tendon ruptures associated with fluoroquinolones who have had tendinopathies that, that derail training and activity and all kinds of stuff. So I may be a little overly sensitive to it, admittedly. Um, but it just seems like a good thing to avoid if possible. And it's usually possible to avoid other things to consider are, uh, like there are antibiotics that lead to photosensitivity, which is basically a an increased tendency for sunburn when exposed, like when outside. So, you know, if you're a tennis player and you're put on a, a antibiotic that, that increases your risk of photosensitivity, you may need to play indoors. You may need to increase coverage of your skin. Like these are just things to know. And again, if you're, if you have a, an option of one that's going to lead to increased photosensitivity and one that doesn't, they're both appropriate. You tell your doctor, Hey, I'm outside a lot practicing tennis, golf, cycling, whatever, then, you know, then together you can make that decision. Well, let's go with the one that's less likely to be, have a harmful side effect. Um, so it's, it's really looking, looking at things like that. Um, you know, some lead to cardiac arrhythmias, uh, some will lead to what's called a pro prolonged QT interval, which is a, a certain part of the EKG. Um, and we know from screening athletes, if you've been screened, some, some athletes tend to have a slightly longer QT interval, um, not problematic, but you wouldn't want it to go longer. So if you've been told that you have that, you want to make sure that your doctor knows, um, it's, it's things like that. Just making sure that the, the environment in which you're going to use this medication is fully explained to your doctor so they can pick a, a um, it's going to say a correct one, but no, Pick, pick the best choice, at least to start. And then from there, you know, sometimes antibiotics need to be changed and whatever, but at least you've got a good starting place. Yeah, definitely. Equipping yourself with the knowledge, understanding your situation, knowing what, you know, your history is, is very important and not being afraid to have that discussion. Again, you're paying the doctor for their time. That's why they're there. Being very forward about that is all very important. Yeah. I think it's also important to remember a lot of patients athletes and otherwise, I've heard them say, oh, you know, a, a Z-Pack works for me or Bactrim works for me. Um, the, the antibiotic doesn't work for you. It works against whatever you have. And if you, you can have, you know, a sore throat that's caused by strep, you can have a sore throat that's caused by uh, mononucleosis. You can have a sore, th sore throat that's caused by other bacteria. And the treatment for each of those is going to be different. So just because you had a sore throat in the past, a Z-Pack was prescribed or amoxicillin or whatever, and it worked, does not mean that that's what works for you. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a common misconception and also not a way you want to lead the conversation uh, because, again, you may actually lead a doctor down that route to say, oh, okay, well, we'll do that because it's going to 
it may be kind of appropriate and, and keep the patient happy. Uh, when in fact, maybe that medication that works for you is less effective and uh, against what you have now, and maybe has a side effect profile uh, that you don't want to really enter into. So, you know, five years ago, you had a urinary tract infection and you had Cipro, knocked it out, you're good. Now you've taken up triathlon or marathoning or whatever. And you say, Hey, well, Cipro works for me. Great. Lead the conversation done. You leave with that. You end up with a tendon issue because of it. Whereas if you step back and say, okay, well, you know, this is what I have. This is what I do recreationally, professionally, whatever. Um, it gives the doctor a little more space to make a decision, um, as opposed to being just kind of led down this path. But it's just a consideration, I think. All good points. And I think that that brings that, that two way street back that, you know, I, yeah. I keep harping on talking to your doctor, but also trusting your physician, like having that relationship, knowing that, you know, they are a medical professional. And for some reason, a lot of us don't want to trust medical professionals these days, but they got there from a lot of school and they can pronounce all these words really well that I'm glad I don't have to say. <laughs> it all comes down to the pronunciation of Greek and Latin. Um, Another consideration for athletes that I think is really important before we move on. Um, and this is one that I kind of struggled with early in my sports medicine career is I, I athletes kept coming to me and they would have been on a course of antibiotics for whatever reason. And they come to me and they say, look, I'm just after antibiotics, I'm really fatigued. My performance is, is decreased, you know, after antibiotics and during the course of antibiotics. Um, it's just, you know, I just don't feel good after coming off of them. And my thought was always, of course you don't feel good. You just had some illness that was bad enough to require antibiotics. Like it's not the medication. Um, I was wrong. <laughs> I think, uh, for a few years, I kind of heard that repeatedly finally to the point that I was like, okay, I got to see what's going on here. Cause this is nothing we were taught in medical school or residency. Um, so I started looking into whether there was any, anything to this. And, um, so interestingly, what, I, what I found is there's not a lot of research on it. Uh, so I don't want to put this out as this is fact, but as the science kind of evolves, this is where it's going. And I think it's really interesting. So inside human cells is something called a mitochondria. Mitochondria are what produce energy more or less for, for the cell. They produce ATP. Well, the, evolutionary theory behind mitochondria is that however many millions or billions of years ago, mitochondria were actually bacteria that lived outside the cell. And somehow they got incorporated into the cell. It was a symbiotic relationship. And they basically said, Hey, let's do this forever. And so cells just kind of incorporated these mitochondria as little energy factories because they, the mitochondria were very good at producing energy. The cells were able to provide the mitochondria what it needed, protection, all those things. So it, it kind of made sense to have this little piece of bacteria inside the cell. That's a gross oversimplification. Any microbiologists are rolling their eyes or have turned this off, but that's kind of the idea is that there's this bacterial remnant inside of every cell and that bacterial remnant is what produces energy. And I started thinking, well, okay, if these people are fatigued and complaining of decreased energy and energy is made by this part of the cell that is, um, has its history as a, a bacterial organism. I don't know, maybe there's something to this. Um, 
So I did a, a literature search at the time. This was probably 2015, 16. And I found a really interesting article. Uh, not a lot of articles. Like I said, this, you know, there's been a few more since then, I think because this one was fairly impactful. But um, there was a group in, uh, in Boston, kind of at Boston University and, and Harvard, um, you know, split between those two. One person from my alma mater, Wake Forest, uh, not in Boston. Um, but they looked at this, they, they looked at this idea, uh, in, in a very novel way. So they did an experiment both in cultured cells. So in a Petri dish and then also in, uh, in rat cells or mouse cells. Um, and they took antibiotics and exposed cells and the mitochondria to the antibiotics and, the short version is they were able to show that the, the bactericidal antibiotics, so in other words, the antibiotics that kill bacteria, there's also bacteria static, which just stop it from producing, uh, from reproducing. But the bactericidal ones, which are the ones we come in contact most often, they're most frequently prescribed, they led to significant amounts of oxidative stress within the mitochondria, which then led to mitochondrial dysfunction. So because of that, um, the, the mitochondria was producing less energy, the tissues that the mitochondria supported in terms of, uh, function structure, uh, all those things, those, those functions were diminished as well. So they kind of identified a very plausible, uh, mechanism by which this fatigue and decreased performance that I was hearing about might be stemming, um, what was then interesting is they didn't stop there. They continued the experiment and uh, did the same thing with the same antibiotics and cells, but used a um, uh, an antioxidant called N-acetylcysteine or NAC, which is a, in the U.S. is a supplement available over the counter. Uh, we use it for Tylenol toxicity, Tylenol overdose in the hospital. Uh, in Europe, it's a prescription medication. Um, but the, the point is they use this medication in this setting where uh, antibiotics were, where mitochondria were exposed to antibiotics and they were able to mitigate that process. So the oxidative stress didn't occur, the damage didn't occur. Um, everything was much more, um, I, the mitochondria came through the process in a better state. So there there isn't clinical research on this, like taking it into to humans and saying, okay, this is what, uh, this is what happens when we prescribe it to humans, but that's kind of what's coming down the pike. I think, um, as just anecdotal evidence, I've used this with numerous patients because we know, uh, it, the NAC, the N-acetylcysteine is, is safe. It's uh, readily available. Um, there's really no downside to using it. Um, and I've had, very interesting responses from patients who come back and say, man, I started using that 24 hours after I started the antibiotics and I felt fantastic. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying it's a panacea. I mean, if you're sick, it's not going to make you better if you're fatigued from the sick, from being sick. But if you're truly suffering from kind of antibiotic induced fatigue and performance issues, uh, maybe on the tail end of a course of antibiotics, I think it's very reasonable uh, to talk to your doctor about trying a course of, of N-acetylcysteine um, just as a, as a way to mitigate that. 
And it's a fairly affordable, easily accessible supplement. Like you said, I didn't, I didn't realize that it was prescription. Usually it's the other way around. We don't usually get the non-prescription stuff yeah. here. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, I mean, every country over there is different, but in many countries it's prescription. Um, it's called Flumacil in Spain, at least. Uh, and it comes in a little lozenge, but same, same stuff as, uh, in acetylcysteine. Yeah, it's a, a powerful antioxidant. How would you, how would you look at people who maybe have go through kind of like, a, Oh, I'm going to load up on other antioxidants through taking an antibiotic. You know, maybe they're, they're trying to just load themselves with either supplement antioxidants, or maybe they're going the route and they're just really trying to hammer out on a lot of berries. Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked about the potential downsides of overdoing the antioxidants with regard to performance, but this isn't the time that you're really looking to optimize performance. So I wouldn't worry about it from that standpoint. Um, I think there's likely some of the same benefits that you see with, with N-acetylcysteine. Um, but we don't know that. And we definitely know that NAC works a bit differently than other antioxidants and in other nutritional studies. So I guess the take home would be, it's, it's probably not the ideal way to go. If you're looking to mitigate the antibiotic stress, if you're just looking to kind of take a big dose of vitamin C because you've heard it's good for a cold, I, I think it's kind of plus minus. Um, I don't see any big downsides to it. You know, if, if you're being reasonable, you know, taking a gram or whatever, not, not 10, 20 grams orally, um, but doing like a pack of emergency or whatever. Um, I also wouldn't pretend that that's going to make a, a massive difference, but, um, I don't think it'll hurt. Yeah. And I mean, stepping back from the supplements too, you really want to give your body all the best tools that it can have. And we've talked about that in, in past episodes, but really just taking care of your nutrition, you're resting, you know, you're, you're not in your, your usual training block and it's easy to kind of maybe fall off. You know, I, I know when I kind of get sick and get stuck sitting around the house or something like that, it's easy to go for snack foods and things like that, but really trying to keep in line with just all the general principles of good health is, is definitely something that you want to focus on if you're going through a, a, a bout of antibiotics and like just a, a general sickness. I think that's a great point because the tendency is to go for those comfort foods right? You, I mean, you're stuck sitting around. If your throat hurts, you want ice cream, um, maybe order a pizza so you don't have to cook. Uh, it's, and it's totally understandable, but that is the time that you really need to dial in the nutrition, make sure that, that you're eating good stuff, nutrient dense, uh, you know, vegetables, fruits, um, enough calories, because sometimes your appetite's gone and your body, you know, you don't have to force feed yourself, but, um, sometimes the body just doesn't want to eat much, but you need the calories because it's a, a real metabolic stress on the body to heal itself. So dialing in the nutrition is huge. Um, making sure that you're sleeping is very important. You know, again, the tendency might be stay up late, lay on the couch, watch some movies cause you don't have anything to do tomorrow, but it's, that's when you need to get in bed and really, really make sure that all the foundational tenets of health are attended to. Absolutely. I always love staying home from school and just not doing anything and getting to just raid, raid the snack pantry. But now as an adult, you know, can't, can't quite do that if I'm trying to get back to training. Yeah. If you're in middle school and listening to this, absolutely stay home, watch a bunch of trash on TV and raid the pantry. Yeah, and, and props to you for listening as a middle schooler. Exactly. So we've, we've, we've covered a lot of like best practices, um, things to be aware of. And there's there's, there's also a lot of misconceptions out there or things that are really popular in the media. And I think one of the biggest ones is antibiotics, the effect on the gut, and then the use of probiotics around ingesting antibiotics. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, um, antibiotics, uh, can have un- unintended, uh, impact on the gut. I mean, it will kill off lots of the, the good bacteria as well as the bad. Uh, we know that from studies in the hospital and the ICU. Um, we know that from, you know, uh, just general experience with patients, uh, the, the diarrhea that's caused is sometimes related to that. Um, but it's also not the kind of thing that is just immediately fixed by taking some probiotics with it. Um, and every GI side effect from uh, an antibiotic is not due to a dysregulation of gut microflora. So it's, it's, it can be a little oversimplified, um, in the, in the lay press, so to speak, uh, there, there is some issue there, but the bigger fix, like we were just talking about is goes back to the idea of picking the right antibiotic, shorter courses, and then addressing the gut flora in a way that's not just another pill. So we, I I think a lot of this stems from the fact that in ICU studies in the hospital, there has been evidence of improved outcomes in patients who are on long-term antibiotics when they're given probiotics. But that's a very different scenario than you at home, hanging out on the couch, taking your antibiotic. Um, We know that in somebody, you know, who's otherwise healthy, whatever, taking a probiotic does not really change the gut flora that much. Um, Maybe not at all. It may be a supportive thing to do, um, by which I mean, it's, it's, not going to cause massive benefit or detriment, but it may kind of help keep things stable. Uh, but the bigger issue is making sure that you have that healthy food, those prebiotic fibers, the probiotic you know, cultured foods. Um, that's what establishes a beneficial gut microbiome in the first place. And it's what works you know, during and after antibiotic courses as well. So it's not that probiotics maybe have no role, but you can't take antibiotics, finish up your course, eat a bunch of McDonald's, but make sure you're on probiotics and things are going to be fine. It's, it's much more of a holistic picture than that. Yeah. Just coming back to the the foundational health practices, like already consuming lots of vegetables, your probiotic foods and things like that. It makes a huge difference as opposed to looking for an, an easier fix with, with, with adding another pill on there. Um, a couple other misconceptions or just common things that you hear about it is, is one that I see a lot is, is drinking or consuming alcohol while you're taking an antibiotic. Yeah. Um, for some antibiotics, you really want to avoid alcohol. Uh, there's like a direct interaction. Um, and, and for some in particular, flagyl being one of them, if you drink alcohol while taking it, flagyl metronidazole is, I mean, you will have this horrendous, uh, not dangerous, but, but, uh, very uncomfortable reaction of, you know, flushing and, uh, skin issues. And, and I mean, it's, it's not pleasant. And so, Yes, for some antibiotics, you definitely want to avoid alcohol. But for most of them, you can consume a, a, a moderate amount of alcohol. The, the bigger question is, do you want to, right? Because alcohol also is a stress on the, a metabolic stress on the body. It's basically putting a toxin in your body. Um, so when you're sick and requiring antibiotics, it's probably not the time to be drinking anyway. Uh, so my advice would be 
stay away from alcohol if you're being treated with antibiotics. But the truth is you're probably not going to have any kind of acute, to most antibiotics, you're not going to have any kind of acute reaction or liver failure or anything like that with moderate intake. Um, it's just, you may be shooting yourself in the foot with regard to the healing process. Yeah. If we're trying to get better, we might as well just focus on trying to get better. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about overuse, um, how easy it is to, to kind of fall into that kind of category. Is there anything else as far as misconceptions, things that kind of circulate around antibiotics that you'd like to touch on? Um, I mean, I think the, the other thing has to do with antibiotic resistance. Um, and that's something that I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around that, you know, you, for instance, if you're prescribed a 10 day course, but you're feeling better at day six, can I just stop it? No, you can't. The, the reason it's a 10 day course is because it's been studied to the point that we know that at six days, you've not had, you've likely not had full eradication of the bacteria at 10 days you do. So if you stop at six days, you may have knocked out most of the bacteria those that were, you know, specifically those that were very susceptible to the antibiotic and whatever comes back at that point is likely to be what was hanging around and was somewhat resistant to that antibiotic or was fully resistant, but was enough that your body was going to take care of it. Um, so you've kind of created a resistance there. Uh, it's one of my medical school professors. I remember saying, you know, there's kind of two ways that you can conceptually think about antibiotics. One is that it's a bomb that you basically, you take, kills all the bacteria, you move on. That's not really what happens. Instead, you, you've got a level of bacteria, you know, pathogenic bacteria that's causing a problem that you need to address. It is for some reason more than your body can take care of at that moment. So we use antibiotics to kind of help, right. To support the process. And it may knock down 50% of that bacteria, 75 of it, 75% with the other kind of bringing it to a level where your body can handle the rest. And I think, uh, although that it's a oversimplification, it's a nice framework to kind of think about this in. You're not giving up by taking an antibiotic. You're just kind of calling in a little help uh, and letting your body do what it can and supporting that uh, process or kind of having some extra troops in the fight, uh, from antibiotics. So with that in mind, if you stop the antibiotics too soon and it's still at the point where your body kind of can't take care of those remaining, you may end up with a, a resistant, uh, resistant strain that flourishes. And that's a big problem, you know, not just from overuse, which can also lead to this, but, but from, uh, people not following through with their full regimen, um, maybe they get sick, think they need an antibiotic. There's one laying around the house. You know, there's a couple of days of a Z-Pack left, so they take it. Um, those are all really poor practices for a host of reasons. And, and I think that there's probably a little bit of distrust in, in doctors, pharmaceutical companies, whatever, when they say, okay, you need to take this Bactrim twice a day for 10 days. And yeah, yeah, sure. I do. I feel fine after five days. I'm going to stop it. Um, there, there are reasons there. And I, I would say don't start an antibiotic without it being prescribed to you for that purpose and don't stop one until the course is done. Yeah. Follow instructions. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's blown up the antibiotic resistance and, and seeing it in popular media and things like that, especially as it relates that we're not going to get into, but you know, industry farming, things like that, different styles of 
agriculture, but that's really not what's going on when you're prescribed a 10 day, a, whatever the, the dose might be like, that's, that's for a reason, like you said, it's been studied. So like, again, trusting your doctor, understanding that this is a relationship that you have, like this, this is what you need to do. That's going to help get you better. And that the documentary you watched on Netflix, that's talking about how X company is going to create this resistant bug. That's not ideally what you're dealing with at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It all goes back to what we started out with, you know, don't take an antibiotic if it's not needed. If you do take a short, the shortest course possible, make sure it's an appropriate medicine um, and follow instructions. And I think with, with those as the tenets of use and then recognizing some things that you can do to mitigate the potential side effects, like you know, making sure that your diet is good, sleep is good. You, uh, you, you kind of alter your training appropriately and possibly use something like N-acetylcysteine, then you've kind of covered your bases for this as an athlete. Yeah. Usually when we wrap up, there's like some actionable steps and it's like real motivated to get out. It's like, Oh, let's, let's try this, put this into action today. Hopefully I hope you don't have to use any of the actionable steps that we've given you. That's obviously our best case scenario, but things do happen. So I'm glad that we've kind of been able to break some of these things down and hopefully provide everyone with more of a framework of how they can approach being, um, on an antibiotic when they have that come up with a sickness. Yeah. So we'll leave by saying, hope you don't need this. Um, if you hear of someone that does forward it to them, uh, and you can just use the information for knowledge. Excellent. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Yeah. Thank you guys. Podium strives to provide progressive evidence-informed medical care and performance advice to both elite athletes and patients who are simply interested in health and vitality. We offer a patient-focused, highly personal retainer model practice that brings a discerning, informed, relational approach to healthcare. Patients enter into an annual agreement or retainer, which allows us to work closely and personally with them over months and years. We significantly limit the number of patients we work with. I'm talking tens of patients, not thousands or even hundreds. It's my belief that most people, when provided with the appropriate knowledge, can achieve their goals of health vitality, and performance. We strive not for quick fixes, but to support true lifestyle changes, which are ultimately much more successful and sustainable. If you're looking for shortcuts and symptomatic fixes, Podium's not going to be for you. If you're in it for the long run, understanding that health is a lifelong journey, then we're here to walk with you and help guide the way. If you're interested in learning more about our practice, email us. There is currently a wait list to join as a patient but there's no better time to join that list than now. Also, as you heard earlier, we plan to do a Q&A session on the podium next season. If you want to submit a question for us to answer, you can also send us an email. For either inquiry, the address is info at podiumsportsmed.com. Thanks for listening to The Podium. To hear more, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram, where I am at Dr. Kevin Sprouse. That's Dr. Kevin Sprouse. The podcast posts at the underscore podium underscore podcast. You can also find and follow me on Strava. The content of this podcast is meant for general informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. All listeners should speak with their doctor or medical practitioner before implementing any change in their healthcare regimen. 
If you're currently a patient at Podium, then you have an established doctor-patient relationship with me, and I'm happy to discuss this with you. If you're not currently a patient at Podium, nothing in this recording establishes a doctor-patient relationship between us, nor does it constitute the practice of medicine nor the dissemination of medical advice. Should you implement any information contained herein without consulting your own physician, you do so at your own risk.